This is Multinew Media. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Multinew Media. We have been gone for a little bit. That wasn't by design. I am Chase Raz, your host for this show, and with me today, as always, Chris Ayers. How you doing? I'm good. Um, what are you up to these days, Chris? Well, um, I'm sure you know I'm in the consulting business. I'm starting a new contract with a client, uh, so I'll be working on some, uh, actually, a major e-commerce uh, solution. Oh, very nice. We're going to have to do about a, uh, a show about e-commerce coming up then. Yeah, and yeah, development, gaming, uh, lots of Fallout 4. <laughs> I still haven't bought that game, and there's a reason why. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going through a uh, similar change. I'm being moved around at the university I teach at, and uh, moving from some of my more traditional business technology topics into marketing. And uh, that made me realize how much we neglect advertising on this show sometimes. You know, we, we say we're the show for business, media, marketing, and technology. And we're, we're so much on the business and technology and sometimes the marketing side. But we forget to dig over into the combination of media and marketing into this big, beautiful space called advertising. And it's not that beautiful, actually. So I thought today we'd... Uh, we'd Say our hellos like we just did and then jump right into an in the news segment. How does that sound? Oh, that sounds fine with me. Good. We'll go in the news and then we'll go to our main t- uh, content, which is, of course, the title of this show. And then we'll uh, wrap up with a futurism segment, if that's good with you, talking about corporate social responsibility in 21st century advertising. <laughs> yeah. This isn't a, co- a college class. I figured you'd chuckle at that one. Last week, and I guess maybe this is one of the reasons um, we, we've been away with the show a little bit. We've had some horrible time trying to schedule. We've 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 each had to cancel a few times, and uh, it, it's just been that type of mess. And I think everybody out there understands that stuff happens. It happens in their work, happens in our projects. Um, but what I was watching last week, really intently, was the IAB annual leadership meeting. And this isn't something that I would normally watch, but it just got really interesting from a tech perspective of talking about programmatic advertising. And the main thing that drew my attention, though, was a news story going around that Adblock Plus, which is um, basically a subsidiary of this German company called IO, uh, Adblock Plus had been, quote unquote, disinvited from the IAB annual leadership meeting, which IAB is Interactive Advertising Bureau. But an ad block company was disinvited. Uh, had you heard about that, Chris? Actually, I did. I uh, I saw that they had like an email confirmation with their like badges and all that stuff, and then they got a response saying, uh, "No." Yeah, and you know they attended the year before. You know, they're, it's not like they're invited, but they register through normal channels of anybody who may want to participate, and their registration was revoked. Uh, it says we never invited them. They registered for the event online. When we found out, we canceled it and reversed their credit card. Uh, the chief says that they are a moral, mendacious coven of techie wannabes. Oh, yeah, that is right. I have that quote <laughs> looking right here. Don't forget, before he said that, he said unethical, immoral, and then the rest of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I, that's um, <laughs> that's interesting. So Randall Rothenberg, he's the president and CEO of the IAB, as you were mentioning. He had some interesting claims that went along with it. If you um, watched his entire speech or maybe read the transcript, he claims that Adblock is, get this, stealing 
from publishers. And, and I can see that on a fiscal grounds uh, or on fiscal grounds. Maybe he is stealing a little bit from the publishers. Um, you know, with, with that vantage point, it makes sense. All right. This isn't. Well, there's one yeah, thing to be anti-ad. There's one thing is you have to monetize your property. Right. And you're consuming that media without um, that ad sponsorship there. Right. But here's what gets me. His next claim was that Adblock is subverting freedom of press. Okay, maybe. I'm questionable there. But this is the big one I disagree with. That Adblock is censoring content. That's a really loose definition of content, if you ask me. I mean, I know. Yeah, go ahead. So they're in a word censoring it. But it's user-requested censorship. That's the key. That's the key. I don't want to see images on my phone. I don't want to spend the data. So I am technically censoring the internet if I browse text only. So I am technically censoring things. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a loose definition of content when you're talking about something that the user did not request is interjected by the publisher. We all operate under that model. We're all okay with it. But when when a user has a reason to turn that advertising off, Sometimes it's not as simple as, oh, because I don't want to see the ads. Well, it doesn't matter. I, I think that they're just trying to raise a flag and cause a big stink by calling it censorship. But, you know, it's my computer. I can install the software I want. Um, I can manipulate the data stream how I want. I can choose what I want displayed or not. I can turn off JavaScript. I can turn off images. If I have a tool that automates some of those things for me or selectively strips out stuff, sure. I mean, yeah, I'm choosing to do that. Same type of argument. Third party came and installed AdBlock. I did it, right? Or you did it, or whoever did it. Well, speaking of JavaScript, that makes makes me think, uh, and I'll get off of this topic really quickly. It's just a tangent, but um, makes me think of the issues with T-Mobile and the binge on. service everyone calling it throttling and against net neutrality and you know the ceo of t-mobile just came out in a letter and said hey sorry if i'm a you know offending the people who are fighting for net neutrality he says but the reality is there's an opt-out that you can turn on and off in real time and it's kind of like yeah that's the thing sometimes i turn advertising off. i'm not saying i do but the the consumer sometimes i turn advertising off sometimes i don't and that that makes sense so the specific criticism about um Adblock is a little bit negated because you talked about the fact that it's an opt-in network, right? These are people having to to choose to be a part of this, but also uh, Adblock does display advertisements, but they these advertisements have to uh, meet what they call their acceptable ads initiative criteria. So there's an acceptable ads initiative that's run by Adblock Plus, and uh, as long as your advertisement meets its criteria. You, as a, um, a a content publisher, can contact them and get whitelisted and say, "Okay, our ads meet all the criteria." So they double dip a little bit, is what you're saying. <laughs> they're taking, they're going from the consumer side, possibly saying, "We'll block your ads," and they're going to the business side, going, "We'll let your ads through." Well, there, yeah, there's that <laughs> challenge of saying, "Okay, are they profiting off of that?" Not necessarily. There is a fee. If turning the ad back on would generate 10 million more impressions per month or more, then you're going to pay a fee uh, for getting processed on that whitelist. It is a recurring. It ends up being somewhere around like 30% of the additional revenue that would uh, happen from those 10 million plus impressions. So I Mm -hmm. think it's calculated by individual. That's where 
I think Mr. Rothenberg, again, the CEO of IAB, where he makes a little bit of sense and says, okay, this is, well, he doesn't say it's kind of extortion. extortion. He says it is extortion. But that makes a little sense. And uh, IO, the parent company of Adblock, has said, listen, we're going to put this off into a third party. We're going to create some independent body to control this whitelist. Uh, it's not going to be us. It really is a processing fee to make this thing work. And that's that gray area in between. And, and I can I can see that. My issue with ads and the whole reason that people have ad blockers is because ads became not only so pervasive, and I, I, I can care less about the left bar and the right bar having some ads in them. I don't have to look on the left and far right sides of my screen. I can focus on the content in the middle mm-hmm. or occasionally an interjected ad in the middle of my content. My real issue is when ads become uh, images of dialogues from your system. So they're trying to trick you into clicking on something or um, they have you know, supposedly an article or something that looks like it's part of the content you're reading, but it's not. It's an ad that was interjected in there. That's a lot of reasons I use Adblock because I – have issues with some of the tactics advertisers use. That makes sense. You know, I, you know, I don't use Adblock for the opposite reason of I want to know who I trust as a developer. But, you know, I guess my take on it is the legal ground for Adblock, I think, is questionable in some areas. But oh, On some things, yeah. like. But their hearts are in the right place. If you're using Hulu or Netflix, it'll be like, hey, um, you know, we have ads that show up here. I'll, I'll whitelist some of those. Um, and that's fine. I don't right. have an issue with it. It's, it's a bad design. There's a tool, and it's uh, solving an annoyance. For a lot of people, there are way too many ads on a page. There's way too many, too much uh, noise to signal. Mm-hmm. And for me, an ad blocker fixes that a little bit so I get more signal and less noise. Um, I also use um, I use Evernote to hold a lot of my notes, and they do have the Evernote clearly, and there's uh, there's like reader modes in a lot of browsers, which strip out all the navigation and most of the ads, and just leave like the article. Mm-hmm. Gets rid of all the distractions on the page and just kind of leaves the article. So those I also use. And that's why I think the position of Adblock, even though it's uh, legally questionable, but the heart's in the right place, is boldly contrasted by the IAB, who's strictly legal, but I'm not so sure their actions are truly uh, in the right place. They they probably think they are. They probably know that's a little bit uh, lip service to the fact that they're really just trying to stretch a dollar as far as it can go. But he, here's what I think. Adblock is really a gray area um, between political regulation of somebody stepping in and saying this is the way it has to be, and self-regulation. Now, business always wants all this self-regulation, and I think the idea here is, of course, some community is going to come together in the middle to try to build something if there's a lack of regulation from the standards bodies and there's a lack of regulation from most businesses, not all. Facebook is a really good example of self-regulation, I think. They're clearly... Uh, marked when you see an ad and they require that of all their publishers. It doesn't always happen. Uh, but I, I think that's what's happening here is we have this progressive idea. Um, it's not being implemented top down, bottom up. Something's going to happen in the middle. And 
and not to go too polit- uh, too far out in philosophy, but capitalism's refusal to comply with regulation, right, and standardization and best practices. I mean, the IAB is eventually going to lose this one in the long run. We know when there's a community that's pushing for something, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Does it look anti-capitalist? Does it look anti-business? That doesn't matter because that's not why these people are doing it. They're doing it really just convenience, design, Uh, sensibility, common sense, best practice, standardization. That's really all I see this boiling down to. I think it's just some people saw a market for a product and they put out a product. It could be that. I really think that's all it is. It could be that simple. I mean, I would hope not because here's why I would hope not. Because then Adblock and IO as the parent company is simply part of that machine that they really don't believe these things and that would make me side a little bit more with the IAB. Look, the IAB, their mission is to get ad revenue. They are to make ads and get ad revenue. Well, but if 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 Adblock Plus is their mission is to get market share of this potential untapped market, I don't I just see them bumping heads, you know. Of course they're bump- I, I, at the I, expense I, of the community who's trying to move this forward for a reason with a cause Maybe I'm taking a cynical view on it and I probably am but they're both businesses and their businesses to make money so and that's I think on one side it's going to be putting as many ads in front of as many faces as they can on the other side it's they identified a market of people who didn't want that to happen they are the two groups are morally opposed to each other I think I, well maybe not morally but commercially opposed to each other and I think it, that's all it boils down to and I do think Adblock saw some additional ways to get more revenue. We, we can come to a deal and I'll let your ad through. Looking at the different parties that are involved in this system is definitely a good a good idea for our next step. And so when we look at targeting our message, right, if we are advertisers, if we are publishers that have advertising space to sell, we may want to understand a little bit about what we do and where we go. Now, we all know about Google AdWords, and that is really the place you need to start, right? Right, Chris? Wouldn't you just tell anybody who says, look, I'm looking to advertise or sell some advertising space? Isn't the first place we send them just Google AdWords and AdSense? I, I think it would probably be Google AdWords. Yeah, it it does a little bit depend upon what they're developing. If it's a website, sure, Ad, AdWords. Okay, let, let's talk about the difference between AdWords and AdSense for about all of five seconds because it is a point of confusion for a lot of people. And AdWords is where you're going to go if you're looking to buy advertising space, if you're buying advertising inventory. So bottom line, let's put that in human terms, if you are publishing an ad. If you're saying, I want my ad to go out into the world, you go to Google AdWords. You go to AdSense if you are a publisher that has advertising inventory to sell, meaning you have, uh, again, in human terms, you have a place on your site or in your mobile app that you want ads to display so that you can get revenue. That'd be Google AdSense. Now, we can talk about these other things that Google has, like uh, they acquired the DoubleClick Ad Exchange quite a while ago. And you think, well, yeah, no, I want I want my ad in an ad exchange. And you don't have to worry about advertising exchanges, right? Google AdWords and Google AdSense for that, that matter, but we'll talk about that in a moment, are advertising networks, right? So mm-hmm. where are advertising networks that people will go to? Um, Google, there's Bing ads. And, and Chris, you have a really good list 
that we were looking at from before the show. Yeah, some of these I'd never heard of. Some of them I had. Adstera, Rev Content, Adblade, Undertone, Bitvertiser, Vibrant Media. Yeah, and you know, one of the difficulties in calling these ad networks is let me give a, a little bit of a description of how this uh, world works in advertising, especially programmatic advertising. Programmatic advertising is a big buzzword these days in advertising, and it's uh, really simple. If you think about web advertising, where you're using RTB or real-time bidding, where you're submitting a bid and saying, okay, I'm willing to pay this much per click or per group of impressions, typically 1,000 impressions. Okay. Uh, any system that uses RTB uh, and and algorithms and, and is basically taking your, your advertisement and fitting it to the best place, to serve at the best place, the best time, to try to generate uh, some type of user action. So if I'm looking for cars, someone ha- has some sort of like auto trader type site, it would kind of wait till I put in the right search terms or I'm looking at a page on a car site to put that ad in front of me. Right. A very... It wouldn't do it if I was looking at like uh, scarves right. or clothing. It, exactly. Wait... And while there can be differences uh, for most of us in the world, we would just call this targeted advertising. And, you know, another example and how complex we're starting to get is maybe you're watching, uh, you know, some top new uh, show on uh, AMC or, or HBO or something, and I see you log in to the companion app or mm-hmm. to the website so now, even it, whether I have the television data or not, because that's one of the lagging areas, but if I, if I you know, see you logging in during the correct time slot for the show to be airing in your time, uh, your time zone, I, I can pretty much assume you're probably watching, and right. then I can deliver you targeted messages and ads based on that, really targeting things. So well, how this people all... People share yeah. so much, too, because they're not only do people share and like the shows on Facebook, there used to be... Like some apps where you could share if you were watching a TV show mm-hmm. right then. And it was linked to like your Facebook account, which is, you know. Wait, yeah, I'm absolutely. the name of that app. Well, and then, you, then from um, an advertising side, you want to mine all of your social networks for whatever data you can get for the share status. This is why, you know, I was, I was making a public post on Facebook the other day just as a public service announcement. This is why so many people... Um, need to be aware that every time you go on social media and you take one of those silly little quizzes of like, what Game of Thrones character am I? And oh, all it's the, not even that. Uh, well, that's company. Typically, uh, sometimes those are people making those for fun, but most of the time that's companies making those to get access to your Facebook account because that retains an app relationship on the back end of Facebook or wherever else. Well, I, and they can I, pull your data consistently. Well, I saw it many years ago where people were setting up pages, like or share this if you're against cancer, or <laughs> right. here's this thing about this girl and this little puppy and like it, share it, whatever. So they would get these pages that would get hundreds of thousands of likes, sell it at auction to someone else who would then rename it to um, some food supplement or diet pill or whatever. Mm-hmm. And suddenly this diet pill now has a page that has 100,000 likes. And that's going to be a different type of activity, of definitely off of these networks. That's a that's a lot less um, real shady. Yeah, that's really shady um, considered. But what most people know are these ad networks, and uh, what ad networks truly are. Let's let's be a little bit boring and, and give a sort of a definition here. That's really the network that is placing the ad on a website in a search engine somewhere else. So when we talk about a Google ad network, Google would control the placement of, of advertisements on their site 
or on the sites of people who have signed up for Google AdSense. But even that's delivered typically through their DoubleClick network. So what is DoubleClick and all these other things? Well, behind the scenes, behind these ad networks, because you think, well, I don't want to just reach. I don't want to have to go up and sign up for every single ad network that can get created. There are these things called ad exchanges. And these ad exchanges are where all of the different ad networks and a lot of the big players in advertising come to exchange of a whole bunch of uh, digital inventory for advertising. So imagine that chain that ad networks connect to the back end to ad exchanges. I'm almost to my point, I promise. Okay. On either end of these ad exchanges, we have these things called DSPs and SSPs. Now, a DSP is a demand side platform. This is where you go if you want to uh, buy ads and put ads out there. You say, I've got ads, uh, I'm, I need to buy digital inventory for ad space, uh, I need to promote my message. And so you go get these things, and, and um, companies like uh, Fixu and Adform and AdNexus, all of these companies that a lot of smaller businesses and individuals haven't heard of uh, are major players. So for instance, AdNexus, let, let me talk about them for a minute. If you go to AdNexus, they are the second largest advertising presence on the web after who? Come on, who's number one? Google, right? Google. Now, AdNexus is partially funded by Andreessen Horowitz and by Microsoft. All right. This company is major in the ad exchange area. Uh, they also do run this DSP or des uh, demand side platform. So if you're a major media buyer, if you're uh, a marketing company, if you're an individual that just wants to get tapped in above sort of the level of you know, Microsoft's network and, and Google AdWords and all of these, you can go straight into something like AdNexus. Again, they're not the only one. Um, something else, that, uh, if you're familiar with Adobe, we have a lot of creative people uh, that listen to the show, listen to or use uh, Photoshop, and we kind of scoff no, at that. They, they'd probably be using Photoshop and Illustrator for some of the design stuff. And if they're doing podcasting, they might use Addition. And if they're doing some video editing on their GoPros, they're probably that's, using that's what we use Addition. After Effects or Premiere. Well, one thing I noticed that a lot of people don't know is Adobe doesn't just have their creative cloud. They also have a marketing cloud. And in the marketing, which, by the way, is really expensive. We're talking like $10,000 per title or more. Yeah, They also have an e-commerce platform that mm -hmm. um, it's actually kind of interesting because you can pick a T-shirt and then have like the different colors. Yeah. And, and but, it'll show you the pictures. But their Adobe Media Optimizer is the one I'm getting at. And that is a demand side platform if you're really uh, interesting. Of Adobe. Now, again, the other side, the supply side platform, that's really easy to figure out. If you're a publisher and you have ad space to sell uh, in bulk, or maybe you run a, let's say you run a chain of, you know, 50 different or 100 different targeted websites. Well, you're not really going to want to sign each and every single one of them up through, um, through Google and, and try to manage it that way. You're going to integrate with an SSP and um, basically open up uh, all of your additional inventory that's not being covered by sponsorships or direct media buys, which is where somebody pays you directly for the ad space. Um, just open that up to an ad exchange and let the ad exchange do the work and fit that and, and sort of trust the ad exchanges. Well, let's back up because you're like not oh. saying going off the deep end, but you're, okay. you're, you're going super deep. But let's just back it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. that's, none of these networks generate the ads like now the content is generated by any of these networks no the ad they exchanges generate, don't they have placeholders the supply where, side platform doesn't no right. it's it's all managing the digital and what's called the digital inventory right. and that digital so inventory is of ad space and advertisements like i said back it up mm -hmm. they have all these placeholders on websites you know little 
hey, this box here is going to have an ad. We own that little box there. Right. And you're going to generate your own content, your own ad. It has to meet our requirements to be this size, this shape, this uh, you know, this big, you know, and you'll submit it to us and to our inventory. And when we find the appropriate spot, we will put it. On our billboard, essentially, on the web page. Essentially, yeah. And why that's important to go a little bit behind the scenes is because let's say you and I start a chain of 10 different sites and we have 10 different goals. Well, we may create our own ad network and let people come in and pay direct rates to us. Uh, we may even take sponsorships into this and create specific terms. And you and I could create our own ad, ad network to serve our sites. But well, that's what, if what we I was getting at. Yeah, go ahead. Before you went super deep. <laughs> When that I happens. was doing, I was working with some people, and I made an iPhone app with them. I, I was the major, I was the main developer on it for a while. You know, one of the guys was really reading about the marketing, and he was really pushing the idea that when you, and, and if you look at other ad networks, and I realize I'm stopping and starting a lot, but if you're a small app developer and you have one app out, great. If you're starting to work on your second app, put your own ads in your own app. Absolutely. Like, like, so, hey, you, you've got game one or, or app one. Hey, guess what's coming? App two. It's just around the corner, and you can, you know, and you start raising awareness about your own products. So now you have two apps and you, or, or, or two websites, and you add your advertisement for your third one. Now you have, mm -hmm. you know, and it starts building. And um, a lot of the smaller companies that, that started releasing apps – definitely helped their own exposure and and became stronger by doing that. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I used to work with a web property that had a similar philosophy. Um there was there was ad space uh designated your typical standard um, ad size blocks, which by the way, that's why the IAB is important. The IAB that we were talking about in the in the news segment, they are who set those standard web banner sizes. Um but we would have all the standard sizes and everything, but everything in it there was no external ad. There was no ad network. Every single advertisement was an internal ad for either a product or a related service from that company. Uh, and I, I view that as a beautiful um, network uh, or a beautiful way to, to um, run an ad network completely internally. Nice. Yeah. You know, I never finished my ad network list. We have Google Ads. Facebook. How did I forget to mention Facebook, right? These are the places that you and I, if we're not going to go run an exchange, which... God knows most people shouldn't. Uh, Twitter's throwing ads in their streams. Twitter, absolutely. Um, they have their own ad network. Now, that's not necessarily going to connect to an exchange on the back end because you're targeting Twitter. Um, but Facebook, uh, the big news here is Facebook within the past week or so has announced and said, hey, we're opening it up to the web. They've been in mobile for so long, but now they're um, working with mobile websites rather than just mobile applications. So Facebook's really starting to... Um, they're not the number two, like I mentioned, but they're but in terms of consumer-facing ad networks, they are number two there. So Facebook's one to really watch the Facebook Audience Network, uh, Microsoft Ad Center. I think that one's kind of boring though because it really only serves Bing, um, Microsoft Sites, Yahoo, and AOL. Hmm. Which is okay. yeah, a bunch of partnerships there. AOL. AOL. AOL is the newest one to that partnership. It used to be like the Yahoo Bing Alliance or something like that. Well, of and course it's Yahoo Bing. It's because Microsoft's search engine drives Yahoo. Sort of. Not not completely anymore, but yeah. Um, Yahoo well, does have a deal a with Google. Uh, yeah, I think it's the terminology is a majority of desktop results 
must come from Bing. Um, and Yahoo now supple, um, supplements with Google. But yeah, AOL, they have their own uh, exchange network and their display network. But yeah, Bing, Yahoo, AOL, all partnered up. And that's up. like, you realize, it was in the papers recently too, um, Google paid a billion dollars to be the default search engine yes. on iOS devices. Man, that is money. And, and so, see, think people... about, so think about this for a second. Mm-hmm. Mobile devices, Android, Apple, and Microsoft. Google is the primary search feature on Android and iOS together. Yep. So 90-something percent of all mobile searches go through Google. Uh, wow, 90-some ni- is probably 95 at By least. Default. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, people can change it. And think why else. that's important. But, Somebody may look at that and say, why? Right? And that's our purpose here. Why would why would Google pay for that? And, and the idea is think how much money... Uh, they're getting back in return for serving serving the ads, and then furthermore by serving the ads on the content. Right, the content doesn't matter because if you go to a mobile site and the ads are hosted by or, or somebody's going through the ad network of AdSense and getting into the double click exchange that way. Which, by the way, you don't need to know you're doing. You just know you're dealing with Google. They take care well, of the rest. The well, if that is- happens, Google gets that revenue, but they're not getting the organic search. They've revolutionized ads when they came out with AdWords. Instead of images and stuff bundling, you know, interspersed everywhere, you just get a little text box off to the side. Mm-hmm. It's unobtrusive. And that's... I think the... More, more than any other ad type, I think the little AdWords off to the side are the most unobtrusive. And and they are, um, they are called organic. I misspoke earlier. I said organic. I meant to say native for a web... Um, uh, a web application or a website ad. Um, again, I'm I'm kind of messing up there as well, but I, I don't want to go that deep into the philosophy of it. So what you're talking about right now, these ads that are off to the side of a search engine, uh, those we refer to as organic. Now, I, I think that leads to the sort of the last point because I want to keep this this area where we go a little bit more technical for those that work in this field. I want to keep it short. Contextual targeting. Right when we target ads, uh, want you to think about two different things: SEO, or search engine optimization, and SEM, search engine marketing. Okay. The reason is there is so much confusion, I think, in the marketing world about these. They sound like these big technical, um, big fun things. So let me start with SEM, search engine marketing, first. That's exactly what we've been talking about. You go to Bing Ads, you go to Google Ads, you go to Yahoo Gemini, um, and you say. All right, I want to place advertisements based on these keywords, based on this demographic, based on whatever else. And that's really what we're talking about with search engine marketing, SEM. Now, SEO, people pay. SEO is a whole different thing. People pay so much money for SEO. But, Chris, boil down what (laughs) SEO is for people because I think it's going to blow their minds. I I think they feel it's some big technical complex thing. No, no, it's not. It's. It's finding what you're actually looking for and, and being found for what you want to be found for. So if you wanted to go look up a book in, on cars in the library, you would probably look up cars, mm-hmm. maybe automobiles, m- maybe four-wheel drive. All of those are kind of synonyms to you know what you're talking about. What you probably wouldn't look up is something completely unrelated. You don't want that car book showing up under, like I said, scarves. <laughs> yeah, they're they're different. It might the word car it, it, it kind of shows up. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So the big thing about SEO 
is organizing your site and your pages in a logical manner, um, labeling things properly. Like if you have images, having descriptions of the images that reflect what's in there. So if someone's looking for that image, they can search for the description. Um, having your titles set up right. Having content relative to what you're talking about. Um, what they used to do and to try to get around SEO and try to show up higher in search lists is they'd have these hidden meta tags and they would try to just slam every synonym and everything known to man inside of them. So that you showed up under everything. But all the search engines got smart to that. And now they really look for relevancy. Is your content relative to like the page and the topics? Do you reference other sites relative to that topic? Do other sites reference you? Don't be deceptive. Just be truthful and have real content there. Right. We don't know the real ads and fake things have real content and you'll be fine for the most part. Yeah, we don't know the algorithms that the search engines use. Nobody knows. Nobody can guarantee placement. You've heard this stuff over and over and over. But uh, but I'm, clear layout of content is the biggest thing. Like and, if you have and that's good the key, sections yeah. with good headers and good descriptions, you have lists that are clearly defined and laid out. Like good layout of content that's easy to read and understand, that is the best thing to help you. And and okay, so I'm not just philosophical, I'm also extremely blunt sometimes. And a lot of times when I get asked about SEO, um, I have this deadpan response that basically is, if your developers are doing their damn jobs, you do not need to pay me or anyone else to come in and do SEO for you. Now, maybe a little bit. What are the words we should target? If if this is from a marketing point of view of what are the words we should target, what's our best demographic, then hire, hire me, hire you, hire anybody all day, every day figure out who you should be targeting and how you're going to uh, apply that not only uh, in your marketing plan, but as far as your technology properties go as well. However, if you're saying, well, we're just not getting ranked. Well, are you properly using H1 tags? You know, are you, um, are you properly, you know, putting data in? Are you, are you doing this, that, and the other, all these things we can look at, or are you just, you know, do you have a bunch of hidden words at the bottom of your page, you know, the old 1990s tricks of, hey, I'm going to make all these words the same color as my background and put all these keywords in. Well, that's yeah, not even, do that. that's going to destroy your ranking and get you not listed. Uh, Ger- uh, in Germany, BMW, I mean, this is years ago, and most people know about this case, so I'm not, not, not preach. I'm just preaching to the choir here. BMW got blacklisted from Google from doing that stuff. Just don't do it. Right. Have it readable. Good content. That's really the biggest thing. And, you know, where I work now, there's been conversations about having content uh, specialists. There are people whose whole job is organizing content properly, you know, laying out your site map. Yeah, having a good site map is very important. Oh, my God. Give me their job title. That sounds amazing. Having a great site map, how you lay out your website, how you lay out the pages and the subpages, how things are linked, you know, uh, how the page is laid out so the content is easily readable, easily findable, clearly defined sections. Um, all those things are really important. Um, making sure you register your site with all the search engines. You know, saying, hey, I'm here, come search for me yeah. is real important. And, you know, that's a big thing it, that so it, many it of us. It always just happen. <laughs> I mean, you know, even those of us who say that, we don't necessarily always go do it because we know that the 
the search engines will eventually pick up on you, especially if people are linking to you. But that's a really good one. Hey, you know what? There's a long-standing um, um, joke between you and me that everyone may not be aware of. It's not a joke. It's a criticism. You're a Microsoft I guess. fan? What? <laughs> no, the other one. You hate when I throw in percentages. Well, I, 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 I have pointed out recently that almost every episode you love pointing out the market share of all the mobile apps. Uh, mobile platforms I, I or the do. desktop platforms and my response to you lately has been um, the lines have kind of been drawn the percentage points are not going to change super drastically overnight there's not going to be you know it's not like a monoculture but like bananas where this big virus hits and suddenly there's no more bananas and so you know <laughs> Windows is dead and now everyone has to go to Linux well, or Mac or Mac is dead and everyone has to those things aren't going to happen right so there's no need to update everybody on the same numbers. I know I've been reactionary against all the people saying that this is dead and that's dead. But I want to yeah. end this segment with What's some numbers good? because I think, I think people don't know these numbers. And I think you'll be surprised by them. You'll agree with them. Uh, they won't shock you. But this is what I'm going to end this segment with. 25 of the top news sites were, were compared in a, in a excuse me June 2015 study. Now, they didn't say that these are the top 25. Keep that in mind. Uh -huh. 25 of the top. I don't know of the top what. Now, they analyzed these news sites that were willing to participate, and 93% of the mobile traffic, so 93% of all people coming to these properties through mobile were web. 7% were app. Now, 55%, this is uh, my last percentage, I promise, 55% of all time spent on these properties was with web. Okay. So that means 93% of the traffic, of mobile traffic, is coming through, but they're only spending 55% of the time there. What should this tell us about advertising on, on the web and in our application? I can't tell you how many times, you know, I have an iPhone. I use Siri to look something up. I go, I hit a web page, I close it, I move on. Right. You're, you're on the go, you're moving fast, um, looking stuff up, researching things, finding phone numbers, looking up a product, scanning, you know, looking for a picture. All those things I do, I hit the page and I, I close it and leave. Now, alternately, if you're bored and you're sitting there uh, on a bus in an office waiting, um, you know, sitting there at lunch, you finished eating, just killing some time, people are like scrolling through Facebook or Twitter, clicking on a link, looking at something. Like it, it's hit and move on, hit and move on. A lot of it's not sitting there having long articles they're reading yeah. on your phone. And you've got to make some some decisions that's, on that. That's my use case, but I, I think I can see it generalized to other people as well. Well, you'd have to ask. Okay, so if I'm getting yeah, only only uh, forty five or forty five percent of the time spent from the seven percent of people who are visiting me through an app, do I really want to advertise to them and, and get them out of that system? Do I really want to get rid of them? But then again, if you're monetizing through advertising, yeah, you may want to step up your advertising game on the app because those people are not necessarily. Um, and we don't know. We wouldn't know the numbers from this. But bottom line is telling us, take a look at your numbers and take a look at the um, the related revenues from advertising because one segment may be pretty much floating the bill for the other segment. Yeah.
All right, so all of this gets really out there and really ethereal at some point. So let's bring it back down to Earth for our final segment. All and right. I gave this segment a really weird name in the beginning. Don't even worry about that. Let's talk about what problems are driven by advertising. And, and I want to be clear here. By advertising, I mean the process of driving consumer demand. We make widgets. We need to advertise widgets so that more people want and buy our widgets. I listen to a podcast called How Stuff Works. Great I, site, I, great podcast, great uh, oh, I, great property. I, I love it. They did one a while ago on pretty much the father of advertising, um, which oddly enough has its roots with Germany around World War II era. And then he came over here. Well, the father and, of modern, and we had, I mean, there were, there are great advertising companies well, well before that. It was originally called Propaganda until it became... Oh, Propaganda's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. So it was originally Propaganda before it became like public relations and marketing. <laughs> yeah. The, the the association needed to change, so they changed it. <laughs> no, and I, I agree. No, I truly have an affinity for Propaganda, and I so, know a lot of people in marketing who do. They, they told the story of... Uh, he he had a contract with some people that made hairnets, mm-hmm. and women, well, like they weren't selling, they weren't selling hairnets. So he contacted all these famous women of the day, and told them, you know, hey, wear these hairnets out, like wear them out. And then he had people take pictures of them. Had that in all the magazines. These famous women wearing hairnets suddenly. Hairnet sales skyrocket. In other words, he kind of created markets right. when he needed to sell a product, or he 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 changed public opinion to make it a desirable thing when he needed to sell it. Well, that's you know that's really smart though. Over in the um, in the uh, trend spotting and emerging technology field, we we uh, we have a term for that. We call that uh, it's not that big of a term. We call that just a revolutionary technology or a revolutionary product. And and when it the product itself is not revolutionary, you're creating a revolutionary market around the product. Um, really smart. Great book from the early 2000s written on that topic called Blue Ocean Strategy. If anyone's okay. interested in that topic, Blue Ocean Strategy is a really great book. Um, they contrast themselves to the Red Ocean, which is sharks in the water, blood fighting for market share. And this idea of, hey, go create a new market out there that no one's participating in, even if you have the same product. But when we drive this consumer demand, right, when we put the hairnets on someone and say, oh, look how fancy this person looks and look how much better they look than you and all these things. Well, that leads to my list of problems. We get image problems. Of, yeah. I'm not as good as the person who drives that car. I'm not as good as the woman who has that hairnet. We get fat shaming, and especially this targets women more than men, but it's equaling out a little bit. Because we have a new trend. There is a term for this uh, of using the sexuality of men in advertising now. And the, the horrible term being given to it is hunkvertising. What an awful. That's it is. It's an awful, clunky word. Uh, but we get consumerism, materialism, greed, hoarding. This manifests in people's heads uh, and sets off their mental disorders more. We get hoarding. We get uh, obesity, especially in childhood, from the marketing towards kids who don't have the mental uh, faculty to uh, get past it. And and we create a throwaway site. We could we could keep this list going forever. We get problems from advertising. I mean, let's just kind of. I mean, I knew you wanted to talk about ethics and morals i mean look well, at a lot more of so ad- where do we go with all of it but yeah go ahead it's already started swinging back like like the 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 big easy one the low-hanging fruit is the the female body image stuff that's been going on the the photoshopping making the images of ads of women in ads 
almost uh, a natural, just completely, well, mainly a almost natural, almost three D models, just almost complete three D right. fictitious, and, and it's an unrealistic standard that almost no one can actually achieve, and it causes, you know, lots of issues. Mm-hmm. So that started swinging back. You know, I think they just recently started having some of their first plus size models on the covers of some of these magazines, like for the first time in years. Right. Like it started to come back, but it's still so unrealistic. Um, unfortunately, everything's about image still. Well, what about what about this privacy concern, right? How does this look in the future? We we have an image issue, but a lot of people are also um, really up in arms about advertising because of pri- privacy. We are tracking people. Um, well, anonymously for the most part. For the most part, absolutely. But um, there were concerns with Windows Ten because. Um, there's an option to turn off uh, like targeted ads. And essentially what it did was it just had a unique ID on the machine, I think, and it could give you better ads. Uh, Windows, uh, iOS has it. But does this iOS. get to a point, though? I mean, you know, that's what's here now. Does this get to a point in the next decade or so, maybe two, where people really do have something to worry about privacy-wise? Or, um, or, or is this, kinda, or is this always going to kind of take care of itself? On the back end, on the server. So I'm going to go technical for a minute. Yeah, go for it. The only thing that's changed in the last couple of years, I think, is people are more aware of the client side mm-hmm. information. So um, for years, server side, they've been trying to correlate visits with customers. They wouldn't necessarily know their name. Most of the time, PII is very highly respected. You know, so. Name, address, all that stuff, personal identifiable, personally identifiable information, PII, is usually in a database that's encrypted, uh, that's not easily accessed, and it's not tied to other data in a system. So all that customer information is in one place. But for statistics purposes, like who's hit visiting the website, how long they're staying, stuff they're clicking on, what what's important, they try to track by like a computer ID, maybe a session, um, you know, just information that they can, you know, use to make their websites better. But they've been doing that server side with computer IP, maybe your browser type that you're using. Um, like I said, session. Recently, they've started doing stuff kind of on the the client side. Maybe they have a local DB, you know, or a cookie where mm-hmm. they say, "Hey, I'm customer twenty eight thousand three hundred and forty two." Or I have this unique identifier. You have no idea who I am, but there's a unique identifier. So if you come back later and you're on a different network because you're on a laptop, I can tell that you've been here before and you looked at this stuff previously and isn't now you're that, at something else. Isn't that, um, for people who are interested in that, isn't that XSS? Uh, no, that's cross-site scripting. That's a completely different thing. Oh, this but, but cross-site like scripting is used a lot for tracking right. uh, those well, cookies across the ad network. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to get to that. But I'm just saying, like, if you are interacting with a single website from home and then you interact with it from your laptop from work, that cookie there says, hey, you know, I'm still the same person. Right. Cross-site scripting is where it does a request to a different website. So, you know, maybe you're accessing website one and every time you click on something, it also sends a little ping or request to website two saying, hey, I'm browsing around, I'm doing stuff. Well, that's going to be that tracking pixel. That's right. going to be the tracking for the advertising networks. Right. But, you know, 
this is like the the cookie and having like an identifier in the OS or your phone. Right. Those are only recently rising up as far as like client side identifiers. And they're more like global client side identifiers where these huge ad networks you're talking about can say, hey, I've seen this ID on other websites. I'm seeing it again now. More like a less intrusive version of what was proposed in the 90s of a net ID, right? Kind of, but it's... But it's nowhere near... It's it's not not tied to your personal data. It's just saying here, this is client 1054. It's not tying all your information to it. if If you share this stuff, if you connect on other things and you willingly give out that information... I'm sure that some of them will take that and add it in. Yeah. But well, I think that creates a market opportunity for somebody who who can aggregate that data. And I know um But here's the point. Oracle does look, this with their data and let you edit it. Say, "No, I don't want that to be part of my data anymore." Right. And here's the thing. When you're looking on the web, if you're watching TV, if you're listening to the radio, there's ads. If you're walking down the street, there's ads. There's billboards, there's signs. Ads are a part of life. So, do you want to be bombarded with meaningless ads? And I know it seems creepy or something you might actually be interested in based upon your habits. And well, I think that makes sense, except for the feedback loop that gets created. I have this concept of a feedback loop. Yeah. And so let's take childhood to obesity, obesity because I mentioned it before. So yeah, what's the marketing cycle here? Adults, we're, we're adults, we're marketers. We want to target um, children's parents. We want the parents' money. So we make a direct appeal to the kids and we say, hey, look at these cartoon characters, look at all these colors, look at all this sugar, come buy this cereal. So the kids get the sugar in the cereal, the grown-ups pay for it, they grow up over time, they get that taste, we start injecting foods with more sugar and more salts and more this and more that because we've created that. This is what I mean by the feedback loop. It's this causality of now we're off on this tangent, but it's all really because... Uh, of some typically not well, advertising. There is an issue with that because when you're targeting children who can't make informed decisions about things mm-hmm. and parents are busier today than they ever have been, so they're not there to offer their guidance as much as they could be. Most parents, I'm not saying all. Well, but it's not just children. Like, take take I a know. look at medicine, right? We're not curing things because, it, and, and I'm, I'm being serious, and, I'm being and, direct, and the, like, it makes more money to... Uh, treat it rather than completely cure or, or obliterate it. Well, and then that goes into the whole other issue of what are the ethics of selling um, and advertising medication to consumers um, or even doctors instead of letting the doctors make the decision on what's probably going to be the best treatment. Absolutely. The whole WebMD issue of I think I have leukemia, cancer, and this, you know, uh, and I have this other thing and I have that. Uh, I need all these medications, and I saw this one on TV, and I think this will do it. That you know, and that's Doctors exactly eat that I'm sure you, you see exactly why I'm bringing that up because these are the what I'm calling the feedback loops. I'm sure there's a technical name for it out there somewhere, but they always end with termination. A feedback loop always ends with termination. So if you have an audio feedback loop and it and you don't end it manually, your speaker's going to blow. If you get carbon dioxide, you're going to get global warming and extreme climate change. If you have bad health, that's going to lead to death. There's always a termination for this feedback process. So I guess one of my questions is, what is going to be the detriment if we don't self-regulate and uh, and uh, allow some regulation? Uh, or am I just being sort of um, no, we, doomsday we, we here? Need 
something, but right now it's public outcry has been on the rise on a lot of these things, the body image, uh, sugar, you, you know, a lot of these type of things. And that's a big started getting more public attention. You know, and the question is, I, would I propose and say, okay, somebody, you can't advertise a product if it has more than this amount of sugar, or would I ad, uh, say you can't advertise a product if um, it appeals to this medical situation? Right? I, I don't know. I, I'm, in some of those cases, I may be in favor. I, I think one of the questions is, why are these groups like the IAB, uh, and I'm, I'm just picking on them today, there are other groups out there, um, why are these organizations... Uh, especially the the industry and trade organizations, why are they not being more responsive? Is the money that lucrative to them, or do they actually believe this position that advertising is supplemental content that makes the experience better? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, but there are some advertisements that have been already regulated. You don't have cartoon characters on cigarettes advertisements right and um, pretty much no cigarette advertisements in the u.s hardly anymore at all right you can't advertise certain things in certain areas around schools and stuff why 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 are they regulated not other ones well i would agree and we need i would say we need to ramp that up but i'm not saying deregulate those i'm saying examine why we did it and what the benefit has been if there has been one i'm pretty sure there has been and expand it if needed but you know there are other people who would argue against that well, you know, if that's too much, I have a couple of steps here that I'd like to propose for anybody who's interested in breaking that feedback cycle, um, but you feel that doing what we're talking about there is, is too big, too far out of your reach at the moment. So if you're a business owner, focus on CSR, corporate social responsibility. Understand what the concept of consumerism is. Um, hey, and by that, I mean, we're all human. We're not cogs in a machine. Remember, the term consumer was originally a derogatory uh, we're just making the human being part of the machine. Um, corporate social responsibility. What would you want to see if you were on your own web property? How much advertising is too much? Now, if you're a content creator, you may not own the business, but you're actually creating some of the content. Try to identify alternative monetization strategies and, and pitch those to the business owners and the managers and the executives. What can you do above advertising or how can you modify advertising? And if you're a programmer, Work your protections for whatever you see into the system itself, right? So if you're just, uh, if you're deploying machine learning and cognitive analytics for advertising purposes, come up with something that's self-regulated and, and make sure it's financially viable, make sure it's programmatically viable, and pitch that as a part of the solution for what you're developing. And I think those are three really easy steps that any of us, business owner, content creator, programmer, can get involved. Well, this has been an interesting discussion. It has been. Chris, I've I've said so much in this episode. Let me give you the last words. Huh. Putting me on the spot here, man. Absolutely. Um, try to think for yourself. I, I realize that uh advertisements and and uh propaganda uh campaigns and marketing campaigns are all designed to change the way you think, but uh, look at your motivations. What why are you wanting to get this thing? What what why is why are you interested in um, uh, spending your money, clicking on that link? You know, do you need it? Is it going to help you? And I'm not saying just don't buy stuff and don't look at ads. Just make sure the motivations for getting stuff are yours. One more question for you just so we can clear up any misconception. Are yeah. we against advertising? No, I don't think I'm against advertising. Uh, it definitely lets you know about products. It lets you know about things. Um, I don't think ads inherently are bad. 
I'm guessing that you got to remember corporations are not there to be your friend, look after you and make sure your life is, is good. Their purpose is to make money. So I um, don't know if I agree with that for every business, but that's another story. Well, most businesses, I'll put it that way. It's a business to make money. uh, Unless it's a not-profit, it's a business to make money. Well, I I don't know. We operate under a business, and we're not trying to make any money. And we even use advertising, and we're not trying to make any money. Okay. Well, pay for the cost of the business, which is a money-making venture. Well, which we're not doing, but hey, we, we, we have too much fun doing this. Thanks for your time. No problem. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.